Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Well, it is good to see all of you here this morning on this long weekend. It's great to see a full house and looking forward to what the Lord has for us. So, Father, just as we come to your word, we just pray that you will grant us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to each one of us. And so, Father, I just pray you'll calm and quiet our hearts. And we just thank you for what you want to do in and through each one of our lives, Lord. You have a plan and a purpose. And, Lord, we just need to uh, look and follow and be obedient to uh, what you're telling us to do. So, Father, go before us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me. To 1 Samuel chapter 31, as we come to the conclusion of this wonderful book. Now, I don't know about you, but I really do like books. And if you've ever been over to my home slash office, you will see that I have many, many shelves of them. Now, have I read every single word of every single page of every single book? No. But I most certainly have, at the very least, skimmed through the contents of many of them. And if you're at all like me, when you get to a book, you're often tempted to read the last chapter first. Because you want to know what happens to the main characters. And you want to make sure that it's going to be a happy ending. You want to make sure that everything all works out for the good. Or because you're just curious. Well, sadly, not everything is going to end for the good in the case of King Saul this morning as we come to this last chapter. Well, let's jump right in here, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. And friends, over the last few weeks, we have seen the Philistines' army begin to mobilize. And they've gathered from throughout the land of the Philistines and they are coming together with one purpose in mind and that is to wipe out the Israelites and King Saul once and for all. And we've also seen the desperation of King Saul kick into overdrive. I mean, he's terrified about what's going to happen. He knows he's totally outnumbered. He knows he's totally outweaponed. And he knows that this is very likely the end for him. And so he is desperately seeking for help 
from anyone or anything except from God. My friends, God had given Saul 25 years to repent and turn his heart back to God. And you do understand that the Lord didn't need to wait that long. But the reason God chose to wait before enacting His judgment upon Saul was just to extend His grace to Saul. To give him another opportunity to repent, which he consistently refused to do. And so now Saul will face God's judgment as the Philistines launch their attack. And as soon as they begin their assault, the men of Israel just up and scatter. Now, if you look up on the screen again, I'm going to show you this map a couple of times during the service. <clears throat> now, you may remember from a couple of weeks ago that the Israelites were encamped there in the Jezreel Valley. And the word Jezreel in the Hebrew language literally means God scatters. And this, that's exactly what God is doing here in verse 1. He's scattering the men. And so these men are fleeing and they run to the hills literally. And as they're trying to run up the slopes of Mount Gilboa, they're being slaughtered one by one. And so as the army is fleeing from Saul and the Philistines zero in on Saul himself, and we can see from verse 2 that Saul and his sons are all fighting together in close proximity to one another, and so Saul would have undoubtedly witnessed his sons as they were killed. And friend Samuel had told Saul that the kingdom would be literally torn from his hands. And that means that Saul's heirs would be cut off from the throne of Israel. And so Saul was seeing that prophetic word come true before his eyes. Saul was witnessing his heirs' lives taken from them. And one of those sons was Jonathan. David's most loyal, trusted, and true friend. And along with his brothers Abinadab and Malchishua, they were all killed on that field that day. And so now the Philistines are coming in with their full force directly towards Saul. Verse 3 says, The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. <clears throat> now Saul would have undoubtedly been wearing his armor. And you may remember back to when David was preparing to fight Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And that he tried on Saul's armor. And it was so heavy that he couldn't even walk while he was wearing it. So it was obviously pretty substantial armor that he was wearing. However, it obviously didn't cover all of his body. And somehow an arrow managed to find its way through and it wounded Saul severely. Friends, we need to understand something here. In the same manner that God guided 
the stone from David's sling into the forehead of Goliath. God guided this arrow to strike Saul. This was no accident or fluke. 1 Chronicles 10, verse 14, the second half of the verse says, Therefore He, that is Yahweh, God, therefore He killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Well, verse 4, the beginning of the verse says, Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. Now stop right there for a moment. There's a few notable things that I want to highlight here in this verse. Saul was mortally wounded. He knows that he will not survive this injury. And he wants to die in a manner that he deems to be honorable. He does not want to be killed by his enemies. <clears throat> but I want you to notice that he uses spiritual terminology to describe them. He refers to them as uncircumcised men. Now, circumcision was the sign of the covenant that God made between Himself and Abraham. Circumcision was an outward sign of someone who was supposedly a faithful Jew. And if you were, circum you were not circumcised, you were considered unclean. Because you were not under the law. You were a pagan, and as such, you then were an enemy of God. And what this is really telling us here is that even at the end of Saul's life, when he knows the end is right in front of him, he still thinks that he's righteous. He still thought of himself as one of the good guys. And he did not want to die at the hands of the enemy of God. Friends, I want to ask you a question here. Is it possible for you to attend church all of your life and not really know God at all? Is it possible to be religiously active in church and not have a personal relationship with Him? Yes! Let me ask it even another way. Is it possible to be married to someone for 40 plus years and still not really love them? You know, there's something that still completely astounds me. And that is when I see couples getting divorced after 30 or 40 years of marriage. How they've invested so much time and energy and walk away. And this seems to be happening more and more in our world. And the reason for this is this. Beca being in the presence of someone does not guarantee intimacy. Just like being in the same room while God is at work doesn't make you righteous. 
My friends, some of the most self-deceived people around are active church attenders. Some of the most religiously active people have no real relationship with God. And you need to understand Saul was active in every single ritual, every single feast, every single sacrifice. Saul would have followed every religious practice and ordinance in Israel. Saul would have considered himself to be a faithful Jew, but Saul did not have a submissive heart towards God. Saul never learned and sought repentance, and so ultimately Saul was exactly like those uncircumcised men. Saul was an enemy of God, and that is tragic. But there's something else in this verse that just jumped right out at me. Saul wanted his armor bearer to take his life before his enemy could. Look at verse, the start of verse 4 again. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. Now what jumped out at me, and I want you to pay particular attention to the order of events that he predicts. First, they will thrust me. In other words, they're going to kill me. And after they've killed me, then they're going to abuse me. <laughs> or essentially mock and ridicule me after I'm dead. Saul was completely justified in fearing that this would happen to him. I mean, the, the Philistines were a ruthless and bloodthirsty crew. And if they were to find him alive, they would put him through unimaginable torture. They would extract every last ounce of pain and indignity that they could. And they would make this torture last as long as possible. They wanted to enjoy it. But what amazes me here is that as Saul lays dying, on the battlefield. He doesn't cry out to God. He doesn't repent before God like a deathbed confession. But rather he cries out to his armor bearer to spare him a, a post-death indignity. Even at the end, Saul is focused on himself. Saul is more concerned with his image than his soul. Friends, how often is that true of each one of us? How often are we more concerned about our image, how we look, than our soul? How often are we more fixated on how we're perceived by man than by God? How often are we focused on the outward appearance rather than the heart? Well, Saul's looking for his armor bearer to take his life and spare him this indignity. Verse 4 continues, but his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. 
Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. So how did the armor bearer respond to that command from Saul? He wouldn't do it. And the verse tells us why. Because he was greatly afraid. Now there were many reasons why this armor bearer would, could be afraid. <laughs> I mean, he was responsible for protecting the king himself. And if he failed in that responsibility, the penalty would be that he would have to take his own life. But he was also aware of what the Philistines would do if they captured him. But at the same time, part of me wonders whether he had that same attitude that David did. That he should not touch God's anointed one. And that by failing to protect the king, he was ultimately failing God. And that would definitely strike fear in his heart, don't you think? Well, Saul realizes that his armor bears. You know, armor bear will not grant his last command or request. And so it tells us that Saul fell on his own sword. In other words, he committed suicide. And upon seeing that Saul was dead, the armor bearer took his own life as well. So the reign of King Saul is now over. A reign which had begun with such hope and with such promise, with such incredible celebration and fanfare, with the complete support of the entire nation of Israel. And now, and now it just lays in ruins. As Saul, his son, his armor bearer, and all his men lay dead on the battlefield. Well, look at the response of the remaining Israelites to this massacre. Verse 7, it says, When the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The very people who once lauded Saul as their great Savior are now in full flight. They left their homes. They left their belongings. They left their crops. They left their animals. They completely abandoned their cities and they run for safety. They lost all their hope and courage and they fled in fear for their lives. And verse 7 tells us essentially that the Philistines said, thank you very much. <laughs> and these vast armies moved into the cities and they took them over and they enjoyed all the spoils. These cities that were once in the heart of Israel are now in full Philistine control. And these soldiers would have sent word out to their families to come on up and join them in this land of milk and honey, all the free stuff they got. 
Verse 8 says, The next day when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news that Saul's, uh, of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth and they fastened his body to the wall in the city of Bethshan. So the day after this complete and total victory by the Philistines, they would have gone out into the battlefield to collect their dead, to collect the weapons and the armor that had been left behind. And as they're doing this, they come across the body of Saul and his three sons. And Saul would have been especially recognizable because of his more royal apparel. His armor would have stood out. And you can just imagine the shriek of delight that the Philistines would have had in seeing Saul's dead body there. And in their celebration, they strip off his armor. They cut off his head from his body and they send word out throughout the land, King Saul is dead. Now I find it very interesting the words used here. They proclaimed the good news. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word used here for good news is the Greek word euangelizo. And ironically, this is the same word that is used for proclaiming the good news of the Gospel found in the New Testament. Just like Christians spread the good news that Jesus is risen, the Philistines spread the good news that Saul is dead. Now friends, if this story sounds a little familiar to you, it should. Because this story has so many parallels with the time when David killed Goliath. David cut off Goliath's head. David paraded it through the streets of Jerusalem. David put it on display as a trophy. David kept Goliath's weapons in his tent and there was a great celebration of the good news that Goliath was dead. But here we see the Philistines doing all the things to Saul that Saul feared would happen to him. They desecrated his body. They mocked and they ridiculed him. They displayed his armor in the house of their idols. They hung his body up on the wall of the city. They would have chanted things like, Saul may have killed his thousands, but we killed Saul. <laughs> Worse yet, Saul's God's great, but our God's greater. So this would not only be a public disgrace for the king of Israel, 
but it would also be a means of profaning the name of the Lord God of Israel. Verse 11, But when the people of Jabez-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan, took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh. Where they burned the bodies. Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted for seven days. I find it very interesting here how things have come full circle. The first we ever hear of this town called Jabesh-Gilead was immediately after Saul was made king. In fact, Saul's first official act as king was to save the people of Jabesh-Gilead from Nahash the Ammonite. To win that first of many great victories that Saul had in his early days as king. And now we see these people returning that kindness Saul once showed to them. Well, I want you to look at the image on the screen again. And if you look at the map at the bottom right, you're going to see Jabesh Gilead. And you're going to see Beshan. They're about 13 miles apart. And when the mighty warriors of Jabesh Gilead heard what was happening, they bravely set out to right this terrible indecency that had befallen Saul and his sons. So they travel up to Bashan. They did it by night. They removed the bodies and then they cremated them. And then they took the remains and they buried them in their hometown. And with that, we come to the end of this incredible book. But before we close, I'd like to leave you with some final thoughts on this book. Friends, I want you to think back for a moment why Saul was rejected as king. God had given Saul a direct command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. God had commanded Saul to not spare a single person, flock, or possession. But Saul chose to disregard and to reinterpret God's command. Saul chose to spare King Agag. Saul chose to spare the choicest of the animals. And then when he was confronted with his direct disobedience, he tried to rationalize that he had only done it so that he could sacrifice it back to God. The ends don't justify the means. Friends, it's easy for us to fall into that same trap that Saul fell into. 
so easy as for us to pay God lip service. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, the New Living Translation, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Friends, that's what happens when we wander away from God's Word. When we wander away and start adding our own little slant to God's Word. We can't do that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. We don't need to modernize Him. We don't need to correct Him. We don't need to sanitize Him to make the world be able to accept Him. We need to obey what God's Word says. And if God commands us to do something, we better do it. And Samuel rebuked Saul for his disobedience. And he said to him, God doesn't want your sacrifices. God wants your heart. Your obedience is far better than sacrifice. And friends, we can pour out as much time as we want into this church, and I love it when our people serve. I was blessed beyond measure this morning to have such a crew here to help us clean up after the wedding from the night before. And they did a marvelous job. And I'm grateful for that. But it's not our efforts. It's not our finances that God wants. God wants our hearts. And as much as God will honor those, because I know the people that were here did it because they love the Lord and they're wanting to honor Him and so we could have church. But friends, we've got to make sure our eyes on the ball. God wants our hearts. But friends, the problem with Saul extended far beyond his, his mere disobedience to God's command. When God miraculously delivered the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, and He led them through the desert to Mount Sinai to receive God's law. It wasn't so that God could give them a whole bunch of rules to obey. It wasn't merely a list of do's and don'ts. It wasn't replacing the yoke of slavery with the yoke of legalism and ritual. It was all about teaching them how to truly honor God and honor one another. You know, Jeremiah 31, 33 speaks to us about the fulfillment of that law and God's purpose for it. It says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. Listen close. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, the first four commandments speak to us of honoring the Lord. And if you're truly wanting to honor the Lord, you will not have any other gods before Him. If you are truly wanting to honor the Lord, you will not worship idols, and that does not just mean the kind that's made out of wood and stone. We have many idols we have in our lives today. If you're truly wanting to honor the Lord, you will not use His name in a dishonorable way. If you're truly wanting to honor the Lord, you will set apart a day that is for Him. The next commandment is about honoring your parents and you'll honor and respect your father and mother for the Lord's sake. And the last five commandments speak to us of honoring others. If you're truly wanting to honor the Lord, then you will show honor to other people. You won't kill. You won't commit adultery. You won't steal. You won't lie. You won't covet. My friends, there is a big difference between honor and obedience. And if you remember nothing else from this message, remember this. Obedience needs a command. Honor does not. You hear what I'm saying? Obedience needs a command. Honor does not. David obeyed God because it was in his heart. David honored God by doing the things that pleased God. David did what God wanted before he was even asked to many times. While Saul could not even obey and follow a simple command. But friends, let me be clear here. We need to obey what God commands us to do. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 15, If you love Me, keep My commandments. So make no mistake, there is not a, you know, these are not optional requests that we can take or leave. But friends, the sign of a mature believer, the sign of a person following after God's heart is that their heart is so sensitive to the Lord that they're walking closely with the Lord and they're so in tune with what God wants that they're not always waiting for that command before they can respond. My friend, sadly, Saul never was able to walk closely with the Lord in this manner because he was so full of himself. There was no room left for God. He was so full of his needs, his plans, his desires, his wants. Watch yourself how often you say, I If you don't think you do it, start watching for it and see how often you do. But he allowed his pride, his entitlements, his fear, 
and his insecurities to control him. J.D. Greer said Saul's problem was not the Philistines. Saul's problem was not Goliath. Saul's problem was Saul. God could have conquered all his enemies. He had promised it, but Saul refused to trust God. At every turn, he trusted in himself. So as we close, I want to ask you, are you being obedient to that which God has commanded you to do? Or is there an area in your life that you're just refusing to give over to Him? Maybe you got a pet sin or attitude. It's an area you know He wants, to, he wants you to give to Him. But you're holding back. Are you honoring Him in every area of your life? Not just obeying, but are you honoring Him? Are you doing it because you get to, not because you got to? Are you keeping in such close fellowship with Him through His Word? And is your heart so aligned with the heart of Jesus that your trust in Him is absolute? God wants that kind of relationship with each one of us this morning. So I ask you, will you honor and trust Him today? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You so much for this incredible book, for the incredible contrasts of relying on one uh, one's own strength as opposed to relying on you. Lord, we see two very flawed men here at the end, David and Saul. Both who sin greatly against you. Far from perfect. but one that was still tender to you and tender to correction and kept short accounts with you even when they did fall away. And one who even to his dying breath was more worried about his image than he was about his soul. Lord, I just pray that you will just pour out your spirit on these dear people. Lord, that you will take the scales off our eyes. How so often we can be so self-righteous. I go to church. I'm involved. But we miss the mark. We miss the heart. And Lord, I just pray right now that you will help us to go from being like a child and obeying to being mature and honoring. To honor You with our lives. To do it because uh, of the love that we have for You out of gratitude, not out of compulsion. 
Lord, remove those idols, remove those things that get in the way of us being able to spend that time with you and honor you, the things that distract us and just totally cause us to be focused on ourselves, our own comforts, our own, uh, our own little world. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord. We see the day approaching when your return is Lord, we can't wait for that, but there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. There's a lot of people who need you, and you want to use us. So, Lord, make us vessels that are fit for service. Help us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.